Welcome to the Finance Now podcast. This podcast is purely for informational and educational purposes, and it's my way of sharing my knowledge, research, and opinions with you. I'm Anurag Birla, and today I'm going to talk about the recent collapse of certain banks, along with everything that followed, including the acquisition of Credit Suisse and the overall effects on the wider banking sector. The last month was hectic, to say the least, within the banking sector, and the easiest way to break this down would be to go sequentially, in order of what happened. So starting from the beginning, the first bank to collapse was Silvergate Capital. Having served as one of the main banks for the crypto industry, offering services to companies like FTX, Silvergate decided to wind down operations and liquidate its bank on March 8th. Now let's roll back the timeline a bit. November 2021, the stock price had hit a record high. Things were great in the crypto industry, and a little over a year later, it had fallen 95%. Between November 2021 and March 2023, one of the biggest things to have happened in the crypto industry was the collapse of FTX, and needless to say, this affected Silvergate really badly. For its fourth quarter, it reported a $1 billion loss as investors withdrew deposits after the bankruptcy of FTX, and in Jan 2023, the firm had laid off 40% of its staff. As regulators cracked down on the FTX case, Silvergate started to get questioned by US senators about its involvement in FTX's practices and was accused of exposing crypto market risk to the traditional banking system after it took an additional $4.3 billion loan. It also faced multiple lawsuits that accused the bank of hiding from investors its inability to detect money laundering on the platform. So in the wake of all this, they just decided that the best move going forward would be to wind down operations, and it's kind of hard to disagree here. Moving on to what marked the largest banking failure since the 2008 crisis at the time. Silicon Valley Bank. What exactly happened there? Well, it gets a little more intricate. The bank was a regional lender with $210 billion in assets and served the tech industry for 40 years. It provided banking services to a number of venture capital bank technology and life science companies and to over 2,500 VCs, so its involvement in growing the US tech industry was heavy. To understand what happened here, we have to start at the pandemic. From 2020 till 2022, SVB's bank deposit base had tripled in size during the pandemic tech boom. This was because SVB drew heavily from startup firms in the tech industry. Instead of investing in other startup firms or ventures, the bank decided to place a good amount of these funds into long-term treasury bonds and mortgage bonds, which typically give small but reliable returns during times of low interest rates. Now, Since then, there have been aggressive interest rate hikes by the Federal Reserve as a counter to inflation. This led to a significant loss in the value of these treasury and mortgage bonds, and on March 8, 2023, SVB announced a $1.8 billion loss on the sale of securities, which included these bonds. This announcement caused the share price to tank 60% the next day, as investors became incredibly concerned about the financial position, especially solvency of the bank. Depositors in SVB started to take out their funds. Michael Berry, the man behind predicting the 2008 crisis, warned that this would be similar to a situation like Enron, and Founders Fund, a VC led by Peter Thiel, withdrew all its deposits. 
March 10th, the sudden surge in withdrawals put the bank on the verge of collapse as SVB were not able to generate enough cash to meet the needs of the depositors. And finally, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, also known as the FDIC, stepped in, took over SVB in order to try and protect the depositors. The third bank that collapsed within this period was Signature Bank, which was at the time the third biggest bank failure in US history. This collapse is sort of linked to the previous two. Signature Bank was a regional bank that became a leader in the cryptocurrency lending market. Given everything that had transpired in the crypto industry and spooked by the collapse of SVB, depositors started to withdraw money from Signature Bank, fearing the exposure and risk to the crypto industry amidst this banking turmoil. On March 12th, the bank was shut down by regulators in order to contain fears of contagion within the banking sector. What ended up happening after that was that the fear spread like wildfire throughout the sector, which pressured regulators into setting up a system ensuring that depositors in SVB and Signature get their money back, even for amounts way larger than the $250,000 FDIC limit. These failures happening in quick succession set the global financial system on edge, and the biggest player to really get affected here was Credit Suisse. While these banking failures were not the primary cause for Credit Suisse's failure, it can definitely be seen as the last straw. Historically, Credit Suisse are no strangers to scandals, and with eyes on the banking sector, it was only a matter of time before the unstable links were weeded out. Bypassing sanctions, evading taxes, a spying scandal, being involved in the collapse of two investment funds, a rotating group of executives, along with some serious losses in recent years, all caused the bank to be acquired by its Swiss counterpart, UBS. Breaking this down, let's date back to 2021. Amid the pandemic, the collapse of two firms, Archegos Capital and Greensill Capital, caused a pre-tax loss of close to a billion dollars for Credit Suisse, which triggered a sell-off of the stock. Following the collapse of the two firms, both the CEO and the Chief Risk and Compliance Officer of Credit Suisse's investment bank left the company. An investigation into their role in the Archegos collapse found that while there were no fraudulent or illegal actions taken, the bank had failed to effectively manage risk. Months later, Jan 2022, Antonio Horta Osorio resigned as chairman for breaching Swiss and British COVID-19 protocols, just eight months after he was hired to supposedly fix the bank. Come summer 2022, the new CEO, Ulrich Kerner, pitched a strategic review but failed to win over investors. An empty rumor that Credit Suisse was facing a forthcoming failure led clients to pull out $119 billion worth of funds in the fourth quarter, while the bank suffered its biggest annual loss of $8 billion since 2008. Having lost about three-fourths of its share value in a year, Credit Suisse announced plans in early 23 to borrow up to $54 billion to bolster liquidity and boost investor confidence. However, by mid-March, Saudi National Bank, which is Credit Suisse's largest shareholder with 10%, said that they would not give any more money due to regulatory barriers. With the share price tumbling after Q4 results, March 2023 was essentially the terminal nosedive. Credit Suisse delayed their annual report and when they finally did release it, they admitted to material weaknesses. At a time where the banking sector is already so fragile and trust and confidence are everything in banking, this was not a good look. 
Few days later, shares of Credit Suisse rebound as the Swiss National Bank handed them that $54 billion lifeline. And while this answered short-term capital concerns, the exodus of clients was ongoing. Shortly after, realizing that the lifeline failed to restore confidence, the Swiss National Bank, along with FINMA, which is the Swiss government body responsible for financial regulation, brokered a deal for UBS to take over the company in order to save some Swiss banking and wealth management prestige. On March 19th, UBS agreed to take over Credit Suisse for roughly $3.25 billion and agreed to assume up to $5.4 billion in losses. While shareholders will receive payouts, $17 billion worth of bonds are wiped out entirely. This enraged the AT1 bondholders as their investments have been completely written down. For context, AT1 bonds or additional tier 1 bonds, also known as cocoa bonds, are bonds designed to convert into equity when a bank rounds into trouble. This leaves a lot of pending questions on the order of payout because typically when a company goes down, it's the bondholders that rank above shareholders. While AT1 bonds are a tier lower than the common equity tier, there were expectations that these bonds would be placed before equity owners but behind conventional bondholders. Now Switzerland is not part of the EU, but European markets were in panic mode. European regulators attempted to calm the market down by issuing statements saying that in general AT1 bondholders would only be affected after shareholders have been wiped out entirely, so the opposite of what happened with Credit Suisse. And this caused the Bank of England to get involved as well, releasing a similar sort of statement agreeing on the ranking consensus. In reality, March was a pretty shocking month for the banking sector as a whole, and it spooked global markets and investors in an unnerving way. While the talk around it has definitely fizzled out and share prices with banks seem to have somewhat stabilized, I believe that the underlying problems haven't really been addressed. Events like this, while they do happen, are a big cause for worry, and I do hope going forward, both risk will be better managed by banks and situations be better managed by regulators. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode, and I hope you learned something at the same time. If you made it this far, I thank you for listening. Once again, I'm Anurag Birla, and this is Finance Now.